Today, Corey Schmidlkofer is continuing our series, Return of the King, a study in 1 Thessalonians in Week 5. The title of this message is Family Matters, covering 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17, through chapter 3, verse 5, which reads, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again. But Satan hindered us, for what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus that is coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker, in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Corey Schmidlkofer. My wife, Erin, and I lead the young adult group here at Change Point Northeast, and um, after the service today, if we don't know you, if we haven't connected with you, um, we'll be up here in the front. We'd love to just see your face and, and get to know you a little bit better. Um, I want to start this morning by reading this a verse out of the passage that Pastor Greg just read. Um, and I think it really captures um, what I'm going to be speaking through today. But it's in Psalm 103, starting in 13. And it says, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. You see, God is our father. He is our father. God is the God of a family. And we can see this concept of the family of God developed early in Scripture when God makes a covenant with Abram in Genesis chapter 12. And God says to Abram that he will be a blessing to all the nations and that through his offspring all the families of the earth will be blessed. And from this covenant comes the birth of a family a family of God, and throughout the whole Old Testament, we see God protect and sustain and provide for this family, this bloodline. And this covenant that he makes with Abram is the fundamental concept that lies at the heart of the family of God. The word covenant simply means to become one. To become one. You see, there is one God, and we are one family one body. And in the scriptures, God is described as the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. God is the God of a family. He's the God of a family. He's the God of Israel, the people of God, the family of God. And, and in Matthew, we can look to the genealogy and we see each character that's named in this genealogy listed through the Old Testament. And each character in this genealogy is part of the family of God, the bloodline coming from Abram, the family of God. 
And the whole Old Testament is really about this God, our God, providing for, protecting, and sustaining this family that will ultimately lead to his promised plan and fulfillment, which is the coming of his son Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus then comes as the descendant, right? He comes as the descendant of this family, continuing this theme of the family of God into the New Testament and presently today. And when Jesus comes, Jesus does something spectacular. He does something spectacular. He brings in a new covenant. He brings in a new covenant and he offers life to all nations. He offers access into the family of God to all who would believe. And when Jesus comes, the language of the family is developed even more. And in Matthew chapter 12, 46 through 50, it says this. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But Jesus replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hands toward his disciples, he said this, Here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Whoever does the will of the Father is called a mother or sister or brother to Jesus. And Paul goes on in Romans 8.29 to say that Jesus is the firstborn amongst many brothers. He is our brother, and we share the same father. J.C. Ryle says that Christians are called the family of God because they have one father, they rejoice in one name, and because there is a strong family resemblance between them. And in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul says, he says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Christians are called the family because they have one Father. They rejoice in one name and because they share a strong family resemblance. In Christ, in Christ, we are now called the people of God, the family of God. He is our God. Christ is the firstborn amongst us. And we then, we then become brothers and sisters. We are brothers and sisters in the family of God. Change Point Northeast Anchorage. Every single person sitting in the seats today are brothers and sisters in the family of God. Now all this to say that, that that we are a family in the family of God. And, And for me, this has brought far more meaning to the term brothers and sisters in Christ. We throw this term around so loosely. But we are literally brothers and sisters in Christ. We have the same spiritual DNA. We have the same Father, and we are bonded together by Christ. So what does this have to do with 1 Thessalonians? 
A few weeks ago, Pastor Greg taught through a passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, where Paul says, But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, that we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. And the following week, he preached out of a a passage in 1 Thessalonians 2 and 11 and 12, where Paul says, For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. You see, this language that Paul is speaking here, Paul refers to himself as a mother and a father in the faith, nurturing and encouraging the church in Thessalonica. Paul saw the significance of the family of God. You see, family matters. Family matters to God, and family should matter to us. You see, and because we are family, because we are family, we care for one another. Because we are family, we care for one another. We care for one another, and we are genuinely concerned for each other's well-being. Open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 17. Paul says, starting in verse 17, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hinder us. See, I don't think that you can read this passage without recognizing the care and concern that Paul has for the church in Thessalonica. Paul says, but since we were torn away from you, brothers. This word torn away literally means in the Greek that we were orphaned from you. We were orphaned from you. And since we were orphaned from you, since we were ripped away from each other, since we were separated, Paul says, I've been eager to see you face to face. We have been orphaned from each other, but my heart is still with you. And as we remember in the previous weeks of study through this letter, Paul and Timothy and Silas were only in Thessalonica for three short weeks before an angry mob of Jews and, uh, came in and they made them flee in the middle of the night. And you see, this was at the most critical time in the faith for this young church in Thessalonica. Paul and his companions were forced to flee, and it was, it was killing Paul that he did not know how the church was standing firm in the Lord. In chapter 3, verse 1, Paul goes on to say that, that he could not bear it any longer. Paul could not bear not knowing how the Thessalonians were doing. Paul cared for the Thessalonians so much that he was willing to be left behind alone in Athens. Paul's concern was so great that he was willing to suffer more distress for the sake of the brothers. And you see, it's highly probable that the anxiety and the pain that Paul was experiencing personally, his personal pain and distress, did not even compare to the anxiety and pain that Paul felt by not knowing 
how his brothers were doing in Thessalonica. Paul's care for the brothers is expressed in the concern that he had for the faith in the brothers. And, and because we are family, you see, because we are family, we care for one another by showing genuine concern for our brothers and sisters in times of need. Because we are family, we care for one another by showing genuine concern for our brothers and sisters in times of need. But check this out. It goes beyond concern. It's far more than just being concerned about the brothers or sisters in the faith. Because we are family, we care for one another, not only by being concerned, but actually helping each other in times of need. We actually help each other in times of need. Look at verse 2. It says, And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in the faith. Timothy and Paul were not only concerned about the well-being of the church in Thessalonica, they were willing to send help to them, even if that meant giving up their own comforts and risking their own lives for the sake of the brothers. Paul was willing to be left alone in Athens. and You see, Timothy was a great help to Paul. He was a great help to Paul in the work of the gospel and the proclamation of the gospel, but, but he was willing to give up his own comforts and companionship to send Timothy to help the brothers who were in need. And Timothy, the heart of Timothy shines forth right here in this text. Not because he said anything, it's what he did. It's what he did. You see, the journey from Athens to Thessalonica was about 150 miles. And Timothy was willing to travel all that way, possibly about 10 to 15 days by foot, to establish and exhort the Thessalonians in their faith. This is not even to say what the situation was going to be like when he got to Thessalonica. Remember, he had just fled Thessalonica. They fled Thessalonica because they were, they were ready. They were close to being killed, and so they had to flee. And here Timothy is. He's returning to Thessalonica again. Think about this. Timothy cared more about strengthening the Thessalonians than he did for his own life. Timothy's desire for comfort could not even compare to the desire to see the church in Thessalonica thrive. Couldn't even compare. It is far more than in concern. He actually went to help them. You see, this is love. This is love. This is caring for the brothers. And in 1 John three sixteen through 18, it says, By this we know love, that he, Christ, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart to him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or in deed, or sorry, in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. The love that Paul and Timothy displayed towards the church in Thessalonica was this kind of love. 
It was this kind of love. They were willing to lay down their lives for the brothers. They did not only feel for the Thessalonians. They did not only feel concern for them. They actually sent to help them. And because we are family, we help each other in times of need, even if that means we have to give up our own comforts. It's more than just being anxious and concerned for one another. Love requires action. Love is sacrificial. Love is sacrificial. How do we know that Christ showed his love for us? Because he was sacrificed on the cross for us. It's sacrificial. You know, in the last three months or so, um, I've heard this common theme, and I, I want to step away from the notes here for a second. I feel like the Spirit is leading me to just plead with you about this. That in the last three months, I have been involved with brothers or sisters in the faith who are seriously struggling. I mean, struggling through addictions and marriages and deep-rooted sin. And as my wife and I extend our lives for the brothers and sisters, we heard even from Christian brothers and sisters this theme. Be careful how much you extend yourself to the help and care of somebody who is struggling, lest you fall into the same struggle yourself. And I, as I was thinking about that this week, I was thinking, what if Paul and Timothy had that same mind amongst them? What if Paul and Timothy said, you know what? We just left Thessalonica. We can't go back there because we might suffer with them. That's crazy. I can't extend my life to a brother or sister in the faith because I might actually have to bear the weight with them. Listen, because we are family, we help each other in times of need. And this morning, I, I left and I, I told my wife, I just need to go for a drive just to be with the Lord. And as I was driving, I was thinking about my brother. My real brother, my blood brother. And my brother is... He is struggling right now. I mean, he is suffering. He's homeless, and he's dealing with addictions to heroin and, and meth. And, and, just, and I'm thinking about my brother that I would lay my life down for him right now. I would give my life for him right now, concerned about his well-being. I want to help him. He's my brother. He's my family. And because we are family, we help each other in times of need. And just as Pastor Greg spoke about last week in, in 1 Corinthians 13, he said, Love bears all things, believes all things, hope all things, and endures all things. That's what love does. Because we are family, we care for one another by bearing one another's burdens. We bear one another's burdens. We do not leave our brothers and sisters stranded in times of need. Paul and Timothy didn't, and we shouldn't either. You see, look at verse 5. Paul says, For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, 
for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. When Paul could no longer bear the weight of the unknown faith of the believers in Thessalonica, he sent to learn of their faith. He sent Timothy to encourage and strengthen the believers. And really what Paul is saying here is that he sent Timothy to bear with the burdens of the Thessalonians. Think about this. Paul could not bear this weight alone. The church in Thessalonica could not bear this weight alone. So what they did is they bared the weight together. They bared the weight together. Listen, how often, how often do we neglect those who are in need? How often do we see a brother or sister struggling in the faith and all of us know some of them? And we continue on with life as if nothing was happening. As a family, we should grieve when others grieve. As a family, we should carry the burdens of the brothers. And in Galatians 6.2, it says, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ is simply to, to love your neighbor as yourself. Bear one another's burdens, and in doing so, you will love your neighbor as yourself. Because when we are in times of need, we expect the masses to come to help us. And the same should be true when our brothers and sisters are in times of need. We extend ourselves to their help and care. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says it like this. The Christian, however, must bear the burden of a brother. He must suffer and endure life with the brothers. It is only when he carries a burden that another person is really a brother and not merely an object to be manipulated. The burden of men was so heavy for God himself that he had to endure the cross. God bore the burden of men in the body of Jesus Christ, but he bore them as a mother carries her child, as a shepherd enfolds the lost lamb that has been found. God took men upon himself and they weighted him to the ground, but God remained with them and they with God. In bearing with men, God maintained fellowship with them. It was the law of Christ that was fulfilled in the cross. And Christians must share in this law. Christians ought to carry the burden of the brothers in the same way that Christ carried our burdens to the cross. That is phenomenal. Because we are family, we care for one another by carrying each other's burdens. In Romans 5, 1 and 2, it says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. We who are strong have an obligation. This is not an option in the Christian faith. You see, we care for one another by being concerned, by helping, and by bearing one another's burdens. Let us not think of our own interests, but to the interests of others. Because we are family, we care for one another. And because we are family, we not only care for one another, we share with one another. We share with one another in each other's heartache and distress. 
Look to verses 3 and 4. It says that no one should be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. Listen, as Christians, we are going to suffer affliction. It's inevitable. The Apostle Paul says that we were destined for affliction. We were destined for it. It's already been determined that at a later date, if not now, we are going to suffer affliction. Again, in 2 Timothy 3.12, Paul says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. All. And the Lord himself says, Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For those who are persecuted is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We are going to suffer affliction and persecution. We were destined for it. Now there's good news, though. There's good news. This is the good news. We don't have to do it alone. That is good news. We don't have to do it alone. Not only do we share in one another's distress and burdens, not only do we share in one another's afflictions, but the Lord Jesus shares in our distress and afflictions as well. Listen, in John 16, Jesus says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. We are going to go through times when we feel like we are walking through the valley of the shadow of death, but the Lord enters into that valley and walks through it with us. And the same should be true of one another. If our brother and sister is stranded in the valley alone, we have to go back and get them. We cannot, we cannot leave our brothers and sisters to walk through the valley alone. Because we are family, we share in one another's heartache and distress. And finally, the best news, really good news. Because we are family, we share in each other's victories. Because we are family, we share in one another's heartache and distress. And because we are family, we share in each other's victories. Look at chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. It says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. What is our hope or joy of boasting before the Lord at his coming? Is it not you? You are our glory and joy. You can just hear the love of the Apostle Paul in this text. And as I was studying through this, and I sat down with Pastor Greg and Dan this week, and, and the irony about this passage as it relates to our fallen and sinful nature 
is that it seems like at times it's easier for us to share in each other's burdens and distress than it is to share in one another's victories. Does that make sense? I mean, can we understand that? That, that because of our, our nature, we are competitive and covetousness and we envy each other and, and it is in our fallen nature to seek our own glory. But here, again, you see the love of the Apostle Paul for the brothers and sisters in Thessalonica. You see this theme of family captured by this text. The church in Thessalonica was like family to Paul. And he wanted nothing more than to see them standing fast in the Lord and to win. As peers, as peers, we tend to function at a level of jealousy and rivalry. But I want us to think of this passage in terms of, of a father or a mother with their children. There is nothing that a parent wants to see more than a child that has experienced victories in the Lord. There is nothing that I want to see more than my brother Jason come out of that distress and come to salvation in the Lord. There is nothing. We tend to, to carry each other's burdens easier than we rejoice with each other in victory. But listen, the reason that a parent rejoices in its child is because that child bears the image of its parents. A child bears the image of its parents. But the same is true, as, uh, true of us. We are image bearers. We are all made in the image of God. We bear the same image. We have the same Father. We rejoice in the same name. And we carry about with the same exact appearance. We are more connected than I think that we even understand. Therefore, let us share in one another's victories. Let us build one another up in the faith. I think 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 25, and 26 captures this text beautifully. It says this, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. We share in one another's sufferings and we share in one another's victories. If one member suffers, we all suffer together. If one member is honored, we all rejoice together. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus that is coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Lee, you can go ahead and come on up. I think that William Barclay said it best when he said this. A man's greatest glory lies in those whom he has helped on the path to Christ. A man's greatest glory lies in those whom he has helped on the path to Christ. Listen, 
when the Lord returns, when the, when the Lord returns and he is going to return, all will fade away. All of it. It's gone. All the money, all the possessions, the homes, the cars, the retirement, all of it is going to fade away. All the suffering, all the affliction. But there's one thing, there's one thing that we bring with us. One thing that won't fade away. That's me and you. That's each other. All of it is gone. But this text says that when the Lord returns, that we are going to be able to stand before him. And when we stand before him, all that we can say is, Lord, I did nothing. You did it on the cross. That's why I deserve to be here. And there's one more thing that we're allowed to say, we're able to say is, listen, look at my brothers and sisters. They're my crown. They're my glory. They're my family. I can boast of my brothers and sisters in Christ that is coming. We will be with each other forever. So instead of laboring and toiling to build our own kingdoms, right? Let us begin to labor and strive to build up the brothers and sisters in Christ. We are each other's crown and glory. Listen, value one another. Value one another. In the end, you matter. Each and every one of you matter. You matter in the eyes of God. You matter in my eyes. And you should matter in the eyes of each other. Listen, your faith matters to me. We are each other's reward. You are my glory and joy. If you struggle, I struggle. If you rejoice, I rejoice. When you live, I live. You are my brothers and sisters. And I want you guys to do something right now. I want you to look around you real quick. Just really look around you. These are your brothers and sisters in Christ. This is your family. Care for one another. Share in one another's burdens. And share in the victories after the victories after victories after victories that we see in Christ. It's worth rejoicing for. It's worth rejoicing for. Listen, the angels are looking down on us right now rejoicing. We can as well. Can I please hear an amen? We can as well. We can rejoice. Listen, we are brothers and sisters. And I'll end with this. I look forward to the day when I can stand before the Lord and I can boast in the work that he has done in each and every one of you. I love you guys.